Welcome to Living With, a podcast about the stories and people behind Health Union. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. Rheumatoid arthritis, or RA, is a chronic autoimmune disease that causes pain and inflammation to the joints. I recently had the opportunity to chat with one of Health Union's advocates on rheumatoidarthritis.net. Hi, this is Ren Vandiver, and I uh, am a contributor to rheumatoidarthritis.net. And tell me about the name Ren. How did that come about? Well, when I first started blogging about having RA, uh, I was looking for a alias to blog under a you know a, a pen name because at the time I was uncomfortable using my own name. Mm. And so I liked the name Wren. I always liked the little bird. Uh, we had them in our garden. I had, I had a pair of them in our garden at the time. And I thought, you know, I'm kind of like that little brown bird. I just hop around a lot and I'm really kind of energetic and don't let anything stop me. And so I started using that name. I love That's it. My pen name. And, and, you know, I got... As I blogged and I got more and more followers, that's that's how people knew me. And as I became more and more active in the, uh, you know, as an advocate for rheumatoid arthritis, uh, rather than, than going to my real name, which is Leslie, I just stuck with Ren because everybody already knew me as that. I, I think it's a great name and it's it just has <laughs> hope to it, you know, and some whimsy. Uh, yeah, I think so. That's great. So tell me, how did your symptoms start? This was back in 1987, actually. And I first started having symptoms when I would wake up in the morning and uh, I would have a a sore shoulder. And I would think that I had slept on it wrong, except that it was really sore, you know. Mm -hmm. And it would be hard for me to, to lift my arm to wash my hair and get ready to work, you know, and so I'd do it anyway, but I thought, wow, I really, I gotta watch what I do somehow at night when I'm sleeping. And it, it, it just, it would happen only now and then. It, sometimes it would be very mild. Sometimes it would be more, but it would be different joints too. Sometimes it would be my wrist. Uh, another time it would be, it would be my, my knee. And uh, eventually when it, started hitting my feet and I was in places where, you know, we all need to walk. Mm. Well, there were times when I was, when it hurt me so bad that I was unable to walk and it, it, it would come and go and sometimes last a long time, sometimes just a few hours. And I finally just went to the doctor because it, it was so unusual and I couldn't explain it away by sleeping wrong anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And- you wrote on, on rheumatoidarthritis.net that you were diagnosed by an army doctor when you were in the Air Force, and that yes. you didn't see a rheumatologist until years later. Right. What would you say is the um, benefit of seeing a specialist like a rheumatologist for RA? Well, for one thing, a rheumatologist is specializing in, in rheumatic diseases, so, so they know exactly what they're dealing with. Uh, the doctor that I saw originally was an internist. And he was very nice, and he did the best he could for me. But there, you know, he he didn't know. I think he really didn't know enough about the disease, 
at the time, and also at the time there weren't any really good treatments for it. So uh, I think I probably would have been better off seeing a rheumatologist even back then, but now for sure it, it, you really would be better off to see a rheumatologist than, than your regular doctor. And, and, you know, your regular doctor would probably be just fine, except, you know, they, they need to know more. And there's these drugs that we're using these days to treat this disease are, are so uh, powerful that it's important that when you're taking them, your doctor knows exactly what's going on with you. Yeah. How is your daily life impacted by RA now? What do you experience? These days, my RA is concentrates its its attention mostly on my my feet and my hands, mm. um, which is good in many ways. In that, at least I, I have no mobility issues, other than you know if the, if I have a flare that's too bad, it, it'll slow me down pretty good. But I am uh, under uh, good treatment right now, and I think my RA is is pretty much as controlled as it's going to get. When my hands hurt, um, it can keep me from doing the little things that we need to do every day. You know, if I'm cooking or cleaning or, you know, or going to the grocery store, you know, whatever it is, it can stop me from being able to, to do things as well as I'd like and makes me less sure of myself. You know, when I go to pick something up, I'm always careful about how I do it mm. because sometimes my hands don't hold. And I've got, you know, so I use both hands instead of one. Can you describe what a flare is like? For me, today, a flare is kind of a constant ache that intensifies when I move the joint. And because I am under pretty good treatment right now, that is usually the worst of it is just that it'll hurt when I move it or it'll make me, uh, or with my hands, make me less uh, able to grasp. But when it, in earlier days, a flare would, I, it would feel like uh, that ache would become so intense that it would feel like someone had, was sticking a knife between my joints and then flexing it back and forth. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. So, you know, this it, this disease can vary so much, and it's that's another reason why it's so important to see a, a rheumatologist and, and be under treatment. Do you get any warning signs when a flare is coming, or is, are there anything, things that trigger it? You know, for me, there are no particular tr- triggers, and... There is usually no warning. <laughs> mm. It just it's just there. Yeah, I'll go from being having no pain at all to to five minutes later having trouble opening my hand. That sounds awful. Yeah, and it's 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 uh, it's a challenge sometimes. What have you found helps you cope with the physical and emotional aspects of that level of pain? A long time ago, um, and this is, I'm going to say this was back in the 80s, I, I was outdoors one day and I was, I was 
had my dog out with me. We were going for a walk, and I was having a really bad flare in one of my feet. And so walking was just, it was taking all I could do just to take it each step. And I was just feeling so miserable. And I looked down, and there we were standing on a lawn. And there, right at my feet, there was a, a circle of mushrooms. And I'd never seen, they call them a fairy circle. And I'd never seen one before. And I was just, I was just sort of overawed. It was one of those moments, right, where you just kind of get stopped with wonder. And for me, that was probably the moment when I realized that dealing with my world as it was, was going to require me to start looking at it in a different way. And from that moment on, um, I really started appreciating the, the very small things in our lives, in our world that, that are gifts and that we can be appreciative of. Because sometimes you have to do that when you've got something big that's really causing you a problem. It's a good thing to stop and say, yes, but, but look, here's a, here's a fairy circle. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or oh my gosh, look at the that that beautiful sky today. Look at that sunrise. You know, these are these are to me those things are the the things that get me through each day. And when I'm not, I mean, it's it's helped me in all other aspects of my life as well to be to be mindful that way. Yeah, that's a beautiful reminder for all of us. Well, I know I know it helps me, and I know it has helped other people in the past. I was I feel very lucky that I was just happened to stumble upon that realization at the time, and I didn't know that at the time there was a name for it. <laughs> now I do, but I didn't then. Yeah, I think that comes from. Well, I know my friend. I have a friend in Ireland, and they they talk mm-hmm. about fairy circles quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd read about them, but I, I just, it never occurred to me that they actually existed. And I was just, wow, look at that. I'll be darned. <laughs> and <laughs> you've written about, you, you do some complementary me- medicine or, or practices as well. Can you talk about that? Uh, yes, I do things that, uh, rather than using uh, uh, drugs, to help me treat pain, I will also uh, use ice and heat. Um, ice less frequently because for me it makes the flare more painful mm. to use ice. Um, but heat definitely is soothing to me and helps to, to soothe the pain. I use a, a, a paraffin wax bath for my hands and that helps a lot. Um, I do um, what they call distraction, where I go out of my way to to kind of force my mind away from the fact that I hurt by uh, listening to music or reading a book or watching a funny movie or having a conversation with something, anything that can, can just distract me away from hurting. Um, and I've done other things in the past uh, to like... Uh, I took some uh, cognitive uh, behavioral therapy classes. 
And um, what is cognitive behavioral th- therapy? It's a, um, let's see, how to describe that. It, it's a way, it's like mindfulness in that you, you teach yourself to, to think beyond just being in pain. Uh, you, let's see, how's the best way to say this? A lot of the ways that we deal with pain, we tend to, to get wrapped up in it and wonder if we're ever going to be okay, if we're ever going to be able to, to get along with this. Um, we worry about what's coming, coming you know, mm-hmm. um, and we can obsess over what's coming and we can think, oh, if this is so bad, what if it gets worse? How am I going to deal with it if it gets worse? Cognitive behavioral therapy teaches you to to say, this hurts, but I'm okay, Mm. and I'm going to get through this right now. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm going to do it right now. And it's it's not easy. It takes practice, but it is very helpful because you, you train your mind away from that kind of catastrophic thinking. Yeah, just present yeah. moment. Right, it, it, it's, it's a moment-by-moment moment thing. And I will be quite honest, some days I'm really good at it, and some days I'm not. Yeah, like you said, it's a practice, right? So you just have to... Right, right. And it, I, I think it often depends on your the circumstance at the time, too. You know, if you've got a lot of other things going on in your life that are, that are rough, and then you've got a flare going on on top of it, and it's it's sticking around, it's not going away. Yeah, you can't help but start feeling really low. Um, that's where cognitive behavioral therapy can help you uh, pull yourself out of kind of a downward spiral. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about chronic pain and opioid medications. I know the CDC has declared opioid addiction an epidemic and a public health right. emergency that so many people are dying right. from it. How have the efforts to control opioids affected people who are living with chronic pain? Well, I think that while the CDC guideline was well meant and was trying to address a, a serious problem uh, with opioids and addiction and overdoses. I believe that they, I think they sort of misstated what uh, doctors should be doing. They, the, the guideline asked that doctors only prescribe up to a certain amount of opioid, uh, certain um, morphine milligram equivalents, I think they're called, and no more. And they did say quite clearly that this was a guideline, not a, not a rule. But it was taken as a rule, and so a lot of people have been denied opioids since then because doctors are fearful of the DEA, mm. um, mainly because of that, I think, Um and people have been forcibly um, titrated down on their dosage dosages so that they aren't getting enough to deal with, with their chronic pain. And this is a real problem for people. Um, personally, 
I've been taking opioids for rheumatoid arthritis pain for 30 years. I haven't taken them all the time during that 30-year period. It's been off and on as, as I've needed them. So, but I have never become addicted and use them today when my flare, if I have a flare that's bad enough that requires them. If I don't, I don't take them. Uh, but it is nice to have them in my arsenal, you know, because mm-hmm. um, because um, for me, uh, they do actually work rather well on a on a painful flare. Uh, they don't make it go away entirely. Uh, opioids don't do that. They they just sort of send it into the background in my mind. That's the best way I can put it. I don't get high but I'm able to go on with my life without being as affected by the pain. I think that is probably the way they affect most people. And so when when the government and I think the general public started becoming so frightened of opioid addiction that um, they've been... The drug has been so uh, has been so restricted. It has really done a lot of harm to a lot of people. And I've been given some hope here recently. I've been seeing some articles where they are actually starting to talk about how this uh, guideline uh, is actually hurting people who are in chronic pain. And the actual opioid epidemic is not from prescription opioids, but is from uh, illegal fentanyl and heroin mm. and other drugs. And the drug that, and a lot of the deaths that are that do occur um, from prescription opioids are deaths that occurred when those drugs, when the opioid was taken with other drugs like um, like alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, like benzodiazepines and other types of drugs that interact uh, poorly with opioids. That's an important dis- that's distinction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a big distinction, and the the DEA or not the DEA, but the CDC really didn't make that clear in the guideline, and they also uh, didn't get a lot of their statistics correct. Uh, which they have recently come out and said, oh, yeah, we got that wrong. But they haven't really done much to make that public, which has been a real uh, infuriating situation. Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. You you mentioned hope, and I wanted to ask you uh, or remark that in one of your articles, you shared the Emily Dickinson quote, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. Yes. That is one of my favorite quotes. I love that. <laughs> yeah. How do hope and optimism play a part of your life with RA? Ah, oh, gosh, you know, I think I think it kind of goes along with that mindfulness thing. Um, I have always been an optimistic person. It's just how I'm made. I'm a I'm a half glass or a glass half full person, and I. It's hard for me not to find the bright side to most situations, which can be really annoying to people sometimes, so I have to watch it. But but I think really after 30 years with this disease, 
that is really what keeps me going, is knowing that somehow each day I'm going to be okay. Um, whether I'm flaring or not, you know, most of my flares I know are going to last uh, a certain amount of time and then they're going to ease. And so even if it's a bad one and I can't seem to, to uh, if I'm not coping with the pain very well, I can always tell myself this is going to stop. And it does. It does. Nice. So, yeah, hope is just, I think it's, it's really, I think it's really important to keep having that in spite of what RA is doing to you. And I've been very lucky. I've had a very... Um, a very uh, understanding family. I've had understanding friends. I've been extremely lucky in my work situation over the years that I had employers that that were um, very flexible because there were a lot of times when I couldn't come to work and I would just have to make up that time, you know, by working extra time, say, over the weekend or working later into an evening when I was feeling better in order to, you know, make sure that things got done. I always made sure my work got done somehow, but they were very good to me, and I was I was lucky. So I know that isn't the same for everybody, and so I have to be, I, I'd like to add a little caveat to that um, optimism and hopefulness. I know this isn't going to be the same situation for everyone, but I still think at its base, Hope is going to be what gets you through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why do you think it's important for people with RA to have an online community? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> I think it's important because it can be a very isolating disease. You know, when you can't get out and about uh, as much as you would like or uh, when it's difficult for the people around you to understand how you're feeling because they can't see your pain. They can't feel your pain. Um, and when you hurt a lot all the time, it can be hard for people to continue to be um, sympathetic or even empathetic when it happens all the time, right? And we're hard on ourselves that way too. An online community gives you a wider world you you get to talk with more people. Say, I, I like Twitter. I use Twitter all the time. And it gives me, you know, a, a much wider um, bunch of people that I can talk to. If I hurt and I want to tell somebody about it, and I've already told my family and they're sick of hearing it, um, this is a good way to have somebody come back and say, oh, wow, I know just how you're feeling you're going to be okay. You know, it's, it's just, it's just widened the world and you find out you are absolutely not alone where, even though you feel that way. um, So it's, yeah, it's a community and it's, it's something that I think we all need. I agree. So you mentioned a little bit that, you know, you can't, you can't see or tell necessarily that somebody's in pain. And it's, it's such a struggle when you're having these invisible illnesses like RA. What mm-hmm. is something that a friend or family member has done for you that, that has helped or has supported you? 
Oh, let's see. Well, it's little things. Um, the other night, as a matter of fact, I, I was... Uh, well, let me back up. My, I, I live with my mother right now. I, she's 87, and she's quite healthy, but she's becoming more and more frail. And so she needs to have somebody around all the time. She's fallen a few times and, and broken things, and that's not a good thing for somebody that old. So I stay with her. And the other night, uh, I was having uh, a flare in my hands that had intensified to the point where I, I was thinking about making dinner. And I really, really didn't want to make dinner because I just, you know, I was going to have to chop some things up and lift pans and, you know, just all the things that we do. Yeah. And I hadn't said anything. And she said, you know, she says, why don't we just call out for pizza tonight? Um, and I said, well, well, mom, that sounds all right. You really want a pizza? Cause she's not really a, uh, you know, we don't do that very often. So it kind of caught me by surprise. And she said, yeah, she says, I know you're not feeling very good. Mm. And it just, I just, my heart melted <laughs> because, because I hadn't really said anything to her, but she could tell. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things, it, it's small things like that, that people who, who know you and who care and are sympathetic to your situation, they, they will reach out and do stuff like that. That's, that's big. I mean, it's, uh, there again, there's one of those gifts I was talking about. Yeah, that's, that's a lovely gift. Just yeah. to be understanding and recognize right. that you can right. use Sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. It's just that understanding. Someone saying, I know this this has to be hard for you. Or if you ask someone for help, I used to, um, my daughter and, and son-in-law were living with me for a while, and, and um, they would, I'd be cooking dinner for them, and I was having trouble, say, lifting a pot and taking it from the stove over to the sink. And so I'd call somebody in and say, can you give me a hand with this? I'm just not feeling very comfortable trying to lift that thing. And so they'd come in and take over. You know, that was great. It was just, and there were no questions asked. There was no, oh, man, I don't want to do that. Or again, Mom? You know, none of that. It was just, sure. And that's, that's, that's important. That's very nice. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to tell you, I really enjoy your writing on oh, rheumatoidarthritis.net. I, I know you're a professional writer, but I love, I love your style of writing. I think it's very um, informative and hopeful, and you provide a lot of what's worked for you and for people to try out. And we're, we're so glad you're a part of our community. Oh, well, thank you very much. I... I... I absolutely love writing for rheumatoidarthritis.net. It's uh, it's been a great place for me too, and I it's I started out blogging, and that was great. But RANet really made a big difference for me, so I'm I'm glad to do it, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And thank you for your time today. I, it's been a delight to talk to you. Very nice to talk to you, too, Emily. Thank you very much. To read Wren's articles and join the conversation, 
visit rheumatoidarthritis.net. You can find more health communities at health-union.com. Thank you for listening to Living With. I'm Emily Downward.